This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I had a a conversation with someone uh, that came out here for training quite a few years ago. And uh, this was this week, and they were expressing uh, some deep hurt and uh, very specifically that some things that I had done. You know, it's always hard as a leader. I, anytime I walk into a, a church uh, building, it's somewhat difficult for me, just to be honest. I have a lot of pain that has uh, come to me via the church, and I know how easy it is to be hurt by this body, and that is... Uh, simply because this is a place of trust, just like a, a family, you know, parents are, are a position of trust, and we as parents can all acknowledge that uh, we haven't been perfect in our role, and it makes sense if we actually hurt our children at some point in time, you know, I'd be hard to argue if our children ever came back and said, you hurt me once, it's like, yeah, I bet it was more than that, and so it's, you know, as a leader of any kind, you can very easily own the fact that you haven't done it well. But one thing I can say, boy, do I have a desire to do it well. And being a leader gives me a tremendous empathy for parents, for uh, any type of leader of a church. I have a a great deal of uh, grace that can go out to uh, those in that capacity, knowing how difficult it is. You could have all the truth, but exercising that truth to perfection. That's the demand on parents and on leaders is that we do it to perfection. And isn't that an interesting statement to make? It's like if you don't do it to perfection, what are you responsible to do? Make right what you didn't do right. And so it's a high standard, but at the same time, as you'll see how that sort of is uh, in alignment with the message today, it's still the calling. Now, I could lay a very heavy weight on all of you and say, be perfect as God is perfect. And you know that I could back that with the Bible. And yet in me saying it to you, it doesn't necessarily enable you to be perfect. So when you raise high the standard, there is something as a leader, as a minister of the gospel that you are also required to do. And that's what we're going to talk about. A very important piece known as the gospel that actually enables the impossible to happen. And it also offers grace when the impossible doesn't happen. We are a body of Christ, which gives us a high responsibility to show forth the invisible qualities of God in and through our interactions with one another. And yet, we have fallen short. But that doesn't mean we don't desire to do this right. And there is tremendous grace that is given us where we fall short, but that doesn't change the standard. And so, this message today is a classic I've given it in so many different packages, different forms over the years, but somehow this past week it was fresh for me. You ever felt that, where you're staring at a truth and you feel like it's the first time, even though it's like, I don't think that's new, but it feels new, and that's the preciousness of truth itself. 
I, I do need to acknowledge what inspired me towards this. Hudson and I were down in uh, Atlanta, well, the Atlanta area last week at a, uh, a film shoot. It's the next Kendrick, uh, Kendrick Brothers film. And uh, Stephen Kendrick, I, we sat in two different sessions where he was explaining the, the movie. And so we were in the media day, the media junket. You ever went to a, gone to a junket? Uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, it's a little more exciting than it sounds. And then the next day was uh, the influencers day. And so we got the same message twice. And it was on Ephesians. And that's their inspiration for the, the movie. Here's what impressed me. There's two things. One is uh, the desire to have everything they do flow out of Scripture. That's really blessed me. But their, Stephen Kendrick is, uh, is a great communicator, and his passion for the Word of God uh, was so transcendent in that time. He's supposed to be talking about a movie, and he would get off. Uh, he was like, what? I don't know if this has anything to do with the movie, but you still need to hear it, you know, type of a thing. And I was so blessed because I heard, it, heard the same thing twice, but he went off on different rabbit trails uh, twice, and it was stirring inside of me, that pastoral side in me, because he was calling it identity. And it's what we typically refer to as position in Christ. It's where your identity is. And it was so profound. I felt like I was hearing what I speak all the time, but with a different depth of understanding because it was coming from a different angle and it was precious to me. And I guess that's sort of the inspiration for this message. Same message, second verse. It's the same concept, but it's from a fresh perspective and... It was a, it's a blessing to me. I've been really encouraged by this this past week. Odd title, but I like odd titles. Starting in chapter 4, that's the title. So the subtitle is The Strange Mistake We as Believers Often Make. Uh, I've used this illustration. I actually had a different illustration. Then I switched it back to this one because I still feel it's the best illustration. That's the, the work glove. Work glove, many of you have heard me use it over and over again, is a, is a picture of working functional Christianity. Okay, so we are a work glove, and if you remove the hand from a work glove, you see that, that work glove is created in the image of a, of a hand, and God is this hand, and it's, it's, the picture in Scripture is grace. That's what that hand is. We were cut off from grace because of sin, but what Jesus has done is he became a work glove, and he allowed God to work completely through him. Though he was God, he became a man. And God worked through him. He only did what the Father was doing. He only spoke what the Father was speaking. He lived the life of grace and did the life and performed the life that we were supposed to live but couldn't. And he died the death that we were supposed to die but didn't have to. And so as a result, that perfect work glove is made a way for all of us work gloves that are not doing so hot. See, we're the, their hand has been withdrawn from us. And so we're flopping around on the ground attempting to do the impossible. God says, pull a weed. He gives us a command, and guess what? I don't care how well-meaning you are. As a work glove, you actually do not have the capacity to obey the divine commands. It's very frustrating to any of us that are good conservative Christians because we flopped around on the ground for many years attempting to pull off the commands of Scripture. But we, in and of ourselves, cannot do it. Jesus himself says that in the illustration of the vine and the branches. He says, apart from me, guys, you can't do anything. Faithful is he who has called us who also will do it. He says, guys, you're a work glove. A work glove in and of itself is merely the means by which I desire to perform. You need to allow me to enter inside of your life and do the work. 
See, what I just gave you is the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of what Christ came to offer us, which was his very life. He didn't just come to wipe away sin and to get us out of hell. He came to give us himself and to bring us to life so that we, in these bodies, could begin to function in a way that actually before that we never could. The impossible life is possible, but not because we got strong, because we somehow figured something out, because we got intellectually smart. It's because we gave him what he rightfully deserves, our lives. So the mystery of the work glove. You can see a work glove over here, and it's flopping around, twitching. And then you have a work glove over here that's doing work. And it's doing impossible stuff. It's carrying you know, weights, it's pulling weeds, it's pushing uh, mountains out of the way. It's like, what? Why does this glove work and this one doesn't? Well, that's a good question. Why is it that you, if you've ever read Christian history, which I've done a lot of, I love biographies. Have you ever had that feeling where you're reading a biography and you're thinking, either this is all made up or I'm missing something? Because for whatever reason, this character in this book seems to have something I don't have. And yet, I'm a believer, they're a believer. You know, they say things that are similar to what I would say. What is the difference? The difference seems to be one of function. They live it, whereas you just esteem it. But you don't want to esteem it. You want to live it. You're tired of twitching around as a work glove. You'd like to do the work of the kingdom. And yet, you need to start with the premise that that work is, in fact, impossible for you to do. And that's actually a great secret to unlocking the kingdom of heaven. So the amazing stuff found in Ephesians chapter 4 and beyond. Remember, this one says starting in chapter 4. Now, starting in chapter 4, I mean, some of our favorite scriptures in the Bible are found in Ephesians chapter 4 through 6. I mean, some good stuff is in there. I mean, some great quotations I mean, just think about Ephesians 6. I mean, you have the armor of God. I mean, this is some great stuff. However, when we just pick up at Ephesians 4 and start moving, you'll notice that what we're getting is a very lofty life. We're getting commissioned to live a certain way. It's called command. We are being given commands in Scripture of how to live. However, when you start in chapter 4 and you skip over chapter 1, 2, and 3, you're missing something. You're missing the hand inside of the glove. So if you start in chapter 4, yeah, it is beautiful. It is profound, the life that we are commissioned to live as Christians. But you can't start in chapter 4. There's something that is laid as a foundation before chapter 4 that is very important. But we're going to look at the amazing stuff. Now, I'm going to go through this very quickly. I underlined certain ones in your notes. You'll see that I made them a little bigger because some of you are panicking that I'm going to read through all these. I gave them to you so you can see them, okay? The profundity of this list is just amazing because as we go through this list, I don't want you to just look at it now and say, oh yeah, I can't do that. Eric said, apart from God, I can do nothing. So therefore, I'm going to come to the conclusion that this is all, you know, wishful thinking. This is actually the life that we are called to and there is enabling power for this. But if you just start here and you don't have the stuff that makes it happen, if you don't have the hand inside of this glove, The glove cannot actually perform this. Walk worthy of the calling you've received. Try it. Try it as just a glove. Outside of that hand, you try living a life that is worthy of this calling that God has given us. That he has actually said, now live it. Do it. March it out. 
Walk with lowliness. Walk with gentleness. Walk with long-suffering. Walk bearing with one another in love. I'm supposed to actually skip these and go to the ones that are underlined. Sorry, guys. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. I need to add put away lying. It's just a good thing to add in there since it's so close. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted toward one another. Forgive one another even as Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God. You ever tried to do that uh, outside of the hand being inside of that glove? Be an imitator of God. Good luck. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Walk as children of light. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. You ever gone through a difficult time? And, I mean, you just have the weights of the world crushing upon you. The life circumstances just weighing you down. And you see a ridiculous scripture like Ephesians 5.19. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Yeah, I'll do that after God fixes my circumstances. And yet, it doesn't say that. After God fixes your circumstances, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. No, it actually says to do that right now. Hey, that's what you're supposed to be doing in all circumstances. Give thanks always for all things. Yeah, those difficult circumstances. You might as well start right there and give thanks for them. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. So that list is great. And I mean, I tell you what, you could spend a lot of time just going through that list, which are uh, known as imperatives in scripture they are specific things that you are commanded to do however what i want to do is underlay that which is before ephesians 4 through 6 so that we understand how to live this life the testimony of triumph throughout the ages i really enjoyed uh this statement about george Mueller this week George Mueller, at more than 90 years of age in an address to ministers and other christian workers said I was converted in November of 1825, but I didn't come to the point of total surrender of my heart until four years later, in July 1829. It was then I realized my love for money, prominence, position, power, and worldly pleasure was gone. God and he alone became my all in all. In him I found everything I needed, and I desired nothing else. Now, I don't know what happens inside of you as you hear something like that. I mean, you can feel a little conviction, sort of like, oh, boy, that's not me. I stare at that, and you could either look at it with incredulity and say, yeah, right, George. I bet. You know, you're just making stuff up. However, if you've ever studied the life of George Mueller, you get the thought that this man had a bit of integrity. Wow, is what you say. This man lived fully for Jesus Christ. And so when you read that, you have to come to a conclusion. Is this guy telling the truth or not? In him I found everything I needed and desired nothing else. By God's grace, my understanding of his sufficiency has remained to this day, making me an exceedingly happy man. It has led me to care only about the things of God. And so, dear believers, I kindly ask if you have totally surrendered your heart to God. Or if there is something in your life you refuse to release in spite of God's call. Before the point at which I surrendered my life, I read a little of the scriptures but preferred other books. Yet since that time, the truth he has revealed to me of himself has become an inexpressible blessing. Now I can honestly say from the depth of my heart that God is an infinitely wonderful being. Please never be satisfied until you too can express from your innermost soul God is an infinitely wonderful being. 
Not just a fascinating and amazing quote. The incredulity creeps in. So incredulity, sort of like a yeah, right. That's what incredulity, boy, that's a hard word to say over and over. Incredulity is like, yeah, I don't know that I, I'm going to buy that. Okay, I don't know if that's, that's true. You see, it actually makes sense to me why incredulity has snuck into the modern church. Because most of us have received a high commission. We have seen Ephesians 4 through 6, and yet we never understood Ephesians 1 through 3. And so as a result, the functionality of our life has not been what we just read in George Mueller's story. And so as a result, we have a tendency to downgrade our opinion of the testimony of Scripture or the command of Scripture and come up with other justifications. This is where the cheap grace message actually comes from. You know where it comes from? It comes from people being frustrated with this sense of guilt that they're not living as they're supposed to live. And so they redefine grace to say, hey, God just covers all this. He actually doesn't care how we live. He just pats us on the back and says, but my grace covers it all. Well, praise God that he's a gracious God, but that's actually not how grace works. Grace takes us in our misfitted state and lifts us out of it so that we can actually function. Yes, God loves us when we're in the muck and when we're making mistakes. That's the truth. But he loves us too much to leave us there. Grace is what lifts us out, empowers us to live. But I've never experienced this. So you'll notice in your notes that these quotes and these page numbers are like scattered around. And so you have to put your puzzle together in those notes. Many trip at the threshold when entering the house of triumph. So one of the best ways to describe it, if someone were to say, well, I believed in Jesus. I don't even doubt the fact that you have come to Christ, that you have genuinely believed. It's not even that I would say, oh, I doubt that you've believed because your life is not functioning. It's sort of like there's this house of triumph, and in that house is all the blessings of God and all the ability to function as you've been called to function. Everything you need for life and everything you need for godliness has been made made available to you in Christ, in that house. And so many of us have believed, but in that entry, we sort of trip, and we land with our head in the house and our functional life flailing about outside. It's sort of like, hey, well, let's shove the whole thing in. Let's get into Christ and actually function from there as opposed to half of us function, functioning in our own strength, our own ability, our own willpower, and actually giving up our life and saying, God, without you, I can do nothing. Please, you take this because I cannot perform these things. I don't have the love native to myself. I don't have that peace, that joy that patience, that kindness. I can't forgive in and of myself. My own lint in my pockets is not enough to pull off the supernatural life. I need what you have. Could you give it to me? That's his delight. That's what he promises to give. So what's our issue? Simply put, we started at chapter four. Now, this is just in one book. I could actually break out because Paul does the same thing in quite a few of his books where he lays out what could be called the indicatives or the facts of the matter that we're supposed to believe in. He calls us to faith, and then he says, okay, now that you have that, do this. It's the results. It's sort of like telling a a glove. It's like, okay, you're a glove. Did you know that you've been rescued? You know that God has a purpose for you as a glove? Do you see this hand, this invisible hand called grace? That wants to live inside of you. You were made in the perfect image to match that. You see, God has now rescued you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So yield your life as a glove. Let him move in. All right, you got that down? Now, 
here's what I want you to do. See, when you start at the here's what I want you to do, and you don't get that first part, the glove is flailing about, not accomplishing anything. And that's what most of us have tasted in our life, frustration. So here's an overview, and it's an imperfect overview of Ephesians, because when you say indicatives, that's like the facts, the statements of fact. And the imperatives, those are the commands. This is what you need to do. And I'm not going to use those words moving forward. Maybe, yeah, I don't think I will. Okay, I'm trying to avoid big-sounding words. But what you'll see is actually chapters 1 and 2 are indicatives. And I don't want to say there's still indicatives through the rest of the book. But this is like the heavy-duty foundation. Chapter 3, he's appealing, saying, hey, now give your life to this. It's only reasonable that you would give up your life to these realities. And then from that point forward... Paul moves into a whole nother gear. He's like, here's the way you need to live. As a result of this, he starts out chapter four with, therefore, it's a conclusion after all of that that I've laid out, therefore, do this. So Ephesians broken up, this is words that you can maybe understand a little better than uh, indicatives and imperatives, the facts and the commands. How about this? This is another way that you could look at it. Faith in these facts leads to supernatural living. That's how Christianity functions. That's the book of Ephesians. You want to showcase the kingdom of heaven, reveal the manifold wisdom of God unto the heavenly realms? How are you going to do that? Well, you need to put your faith in something. What is that something? You? Is it up to you to pull this off? No, it's up to him. He has pulled it off, and he will continue to pull it off. You give your life to him and let him pull it off through you. When you follow the law instead of the gospel, it really messes up your Christianity. So if any of you have ever stumbled with this, I'm going to just say some of it tends to be a personality type. I'm not exactly sure. I've tried to figure this out for years. I am a do-gooder, okay, by personality type. I, I, I would be the type of guy that I would say, well, do they allow us to do that? And then someone next to me is like, it doesn't matter. They won't know. Like, well, I, I just, what do they say? What does the rule book say? I'm like a rule follower, right? And so it really bothers me when someone around me is like breaking the rules and they're having a great time doing it. I'm miserable the whole time. If I break a rule, I feel terrible about it, right? And so I'm like the wet blanket on everyone's fun. Like in college, you should have seen me in college. I was always reasoning through. They're like, we could do this. I'm like, well, let's think this through. I remember the guys all wanted to go to Hawaii. They were like, let's just go on a road trip to Hawaii. How do you go on a road trip to Hawaii? They're like, let's just, I, I bet we could just scrape our money together and just go and, and, and go to Hawaii. Like, where are we going to live when we're there? It's like, I don't, I don't know. We don't have any money to eat if we do that. Well, I, we'll figure that out. How are we going to figure it out? Tell me where we're going to stay. We'll stay on the beach. Okay, we're going to stay. Is that legal to stay on the beach? Well, are we going to stay just lay in the open air? And, you know, it's like, we'll get tents. Where are we getting the tents from? Are we bringing them with us? So, and they're just looking at me going, you just robbed all the fun out of our road trip. So I have a tendency to be a rule keeper. So when Eric Ludy is changed by Jesus Christ, you know what I tend to default to? Give me the rules. God, what do you expect of me? I want to do it for you. I want to show you that I'm a good rule follower. And it has a tendency to really mess up and gum up your Christianity. Now, some of you are the exact opposite of that, and you have different issues. We're not dealing with those issues right now. However, just follow uh, through on this. In 
When you followed the rules or the law instead of the gospel, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So many of you have seen me describe there's twos in the Bible, first and second. The first cannot please God. So uh, the first covenant uh, that we have, the Old Testament, it gives us law. But we could keep that law all day long. We could try. And all it's going to prove is one singular thing. We are lawbreakers. Because we do not have the capacity. It's like giving that, that flimsy work glove that doesn't have a hand in it commands for some jobs for the day. I want you to clean the kitchen. I want you to pull the weeds in the backyard. Give it law. And what's it going to show? That work glove. That work glove does not have the power to do it. That work glove needs a savior. That work glove needs a hand. That's what the first can show. The first is the flesh. The second is the spirit. And so if we continue to try and live out our Christianity in our own power, following laws, following rules, we actually gum things up. It isn't how it works. It's like a work glove attempting to keep a chore list and saying, I'll do this for you, God. But that work glove actually can't do it for God. And it isn't like a bad thing to acknowledge, God, I can't do this. You know what the Old Testament also has in it? Something called prophecy. You know what that prophecy says? It says, you can't do it, guys, but there is one who is coming who can do it for you. He's the Messiah. In the Greek, it's the Christos, or the Christ. You know who that is, don't you? And he's come, and he did, and he has brought that hand to us to enter into our life so that now it can be performed. See, God's great agenda is not to have us sin, as some people would suspect. It's like, well, see, God has saved us from the law. Now we're no longer under law so we can live any way we want. No, 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 no. It's not so that you can live any way you want. The law had a purpose, and that was to reveal your need. It was to expose your sin to drive you to a Savior. It's a schoolmaster, which leads you to Christ. And when you come to Christ... Now you can begin to function as a work glove ought to function. So hear the truth. Hear the facts. Listen to the gospel. Now, did you get it? Did you respond to it? Okay. Now let's get down to business and live as a work glove the way we were intended to live. But it's not under law anymore. It's now grace that is empowering us. It's privilege to serve Jesus and to perform that which he has asked us to do. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. The church of work gloves without hands in them. Could you imagine what that would be like? You have a council of work gloves. They come together and like, here's how we're going to live. They have a form of godliness. They have a certain order to service. And they have, you know, their mantras that they chant. And they, they do everything. They have all their doctrine just correct. And yet they say, oh, but we don't need a hand inside of us. Those that make these statements that we need power to live this life, oh, we reject them. From such, turn away. Any version of Christianity that says, hey, I don't need God or you don't need God in order to pull this off, that we can pull it off in our own calfskin work love power, that's a lie. And it's one of the greatest lies that has ever been on this earth is that you can do it without God. Actually, I know it sounds very uh, 
countercultural or, or anti-self-esteem movement to say you can't do it. But that's the facts. That's what the Bible says, and it's the creator God that's saying it. He's not saying that you can't do anything. You know that you could wake up in the morning and, and fry eggs for yourself? You can. You could put on some clothes. You could. You could choose a bad outfit. You could. You could get into a car and zoom down the road. You could. In other words, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about performing divine action for the purpose that you were created. You are unable, ill-equipped, as a work glove, without a hand, to do the things that God has assigned you to do. So having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. The seed in its two parts. If you take a seed, I'm going to make a big seed here. Imagine that seeds are a little bigger. There's two parts to a seed. There's an outer shell or an outer husk to a seed, and then there's an inner pith. There is one, both parts matter, by the way. And this is sort of like what we could call the biblical text is on the outside and the gospel power is on the inside. You see, why do we need the outside of a, of a seed? Because if you don't have the outside, the correct doctrine, if you will, then the inside, the gospel power, will die. It'll be exposed. And then if you only, if, if you only have the outside husk and you don't have the inner pith, what good is the seed? You need both to protect each other, to serve one another. But many of us today... We get the correct doctrine. We get the biblical worldview, and we never get the gospel power. But without the gospel power, without the idea that the hand needs to enter inside of us and work through us. And by the way, just give a quick survey of the New Testament. Just real quick. Go through what Jesus Christ promises before he leaves. He's going to send us something. And then what happens in the book of Acts. And then what happens again in the book of Acts. What is taking place everywhere they go? There is a need for something. We can call it the hand of grace to enter in. It's known very personally as the Holy Spirit. And without that Holy Spirit, good luck, guys. You cannot function any more than a, life can fu- a body can function without life in it. We are that body, and he is that life. And when you remove that life from a body, it's called death. We cannot walk in death. We must walk in life. A practice run in dividing the external husk from the internal life. Okay, so we're going to just do a practice, then we'll get into Ephesians. You must not sin. You know, that's a fact in Scripture. You must not sin. Now imagine, because some of you have carried this around in your life. You've seen that, and you're like, oh, I can't sin. And it's actually true, guys. It does say that. That's just as much of the Bible as anything else. However, what you need is the facts that undergird and give you power so that that hand can come in and when you see how you're supposed to live, you actually now have power to do that. What does it say in 1 Peter 2? He conquered sin. So that which has always ruled you, it's sort of like always being a slave to someone, your slave master, and then someone coming up to you and they're saying, you should not serve that slave master anymore. And you're like, I just don't know how to. He beats me. If I leave, he'll cut off my ears. He'll, he'll slice off fingers. I mean, he's, he had to have a history with this guy. That's what slave masters used to do. And then someone instead says, hey, by the way, I'm going to tell you not to be subservient to your slave master in just a second. But before I do, I'm going to say, actually, your slave master no longer has power over you or set free from him. So you can actually leave the estate and live uh, over here instead of here. All right, now, don't serve that slave master anymore. You know, that actually makes a lot more sense. And it just put it on us to somehow come up with an ability that we innately don't have. You must be righteous. Fact. 
But what does the Bible say? He is indeed our righteousness. So when you understand that there is a behavior that God desires out of a work glove, you need to understand that he has supplied everything we need for that behavior. You must be holy just as God is holy. Oh, wow, that's going to be hard to do. Uh It's impossible to do. But look at the truth. The Holy Spirit has been given you. You see, that's gospel power. The Holy Spirit, the one who brings holiness to your life. You thought you were going to whip up your own holiness? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You must love just as God loves. Try that. Well, God is love and he will love in and through you. You see, that's just a practice run. I'm just getting you warmed up for how this, the scriptures work. You see, you can have a high command and it is impossible. But what if you get God's truth? What if you get his gospel underlaying all of that? No longer do you fear the high command. Now you smile at it and say, God, you do it. A very quick lesson in reckoning truth. So I, I said very quick, that's for my sake, not for yours. That's to say, Eric, you can't spend a lot of time on this. I love teaching reckoning with truth. And so it's actually a very, very significant uh, lesson in our training. It's, it's a term that Paul uses in especially Romans 6. He'll use it over and over again. And Romans 6 is like the enunciation. You have all of this powerful stuff in Romans 1 through 5 as far as the gospel and what God has done. And then in Romans 6, Paul says, okay, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get, let's get practical. You need to take that into your account. I'm not just waxing eloquent for my own sake. I gave you that truth so that you could take it, so that you could activate it in your soul. It's an accounting term. So it's like literally seeing something and taking it into your account and feeling that much richer. It's like, no, I have that now. It's mine. And so one of the ways that I oftentimes have, have taught it here is, uh, well, I'll, I'll just, I don't have anything under my foot right now. Okay, so I'll lift it up and show. But I've, I've done it multiple ways. But I'll stick like a $10 bill underneath my foot and I'll ask for someone in the audience that doesn't have any money in their pockets. And anyone who knows that I do this oftentimes will purposely remove money from their pockets so that they can raise their hand and see if they can get $10. I think Malachi, I saw you try that once, didn't I? Uh, And yeah, I got you on that one. Uh, And so I have a $10 bill, but you can't see it, right? It's it's there, but you can't see it. So I'll have you come up and I'll say something like, uh, you have a problem, you know, you outside those double doors, you know, you, you owe $9, and you've been beat up your entire life. There's a big mob boss out there, and every time you go out, he says, $9, and then you go, I don't have it, and he beats you up. And so I, I, I say, so what's going to happen today? Do you have the $9 that you need? No, I don't. Uh-oh. You know what that means? Mm-hmm. You're going to be beat up again. Okay, so it's just the cyclical pattern of sin that all of us are in. We do not have the substance. As, according to this message, we do not have the hand in the glove. We do not have the power, the supply, the provision of God to be able to do this. So we keep being defeated. So then the truth comes in. Now, in this illustration, I would be symbolic of the word of God. Okay? So I said, I, I've seen your need, and I supplied for you uh, $10. And so it's underneath my, my right shoe. And so they can't see it, right? But they have now received my word. So then I ask him a series of questions. Listen very closely. This is quite profound, truly. Do you have in and of your own self, your own pockets, that which you need to pass that $9 test outside that door? And their answer is, no, I don't have it. That's truth. They don't have it and they never have had it. But listen to this question. But do you have that which you need to pass that test? 
Yes. Not a strange question. I just asked that question just a little earlier, and they said no. Then I ask it again, and they say yes. And I say, how do you have it? So I have it by faith. Faith in what? Your word. You see, they actually don't have the crinkle of a $10 bill, but they do. How do they have it? They have it by faith. Faith in what? My promise. You see, I spoke to them and I gave them my word. If they put confidence in my word, then the moment they reckon it is the moment they have it. You see, as Christians, we are called to reckon this truth. God has accomplished something in and through his son. He has laid it before us and he says, do you have it in your own calfskin work love power to perform these chores that I've given you? No, I don't. But after hearing me speak this gospel to you, do you have that which you need to perform as a work love ought to perform? I do. How do you have it? I have it by faith. Faith in what? In your word. You see, this is how we reckon the truth of God's kingdom. We must access it by faith. You can be exposed to the truth. You can hear the truth. Some guy can hear it. There's a $10 bill underneath my foot till I'm blue in the face until he's an old man with a gray beard and never actually reckon it, take it. And what would he do next? If, if that was true and he believed that there was a $10 bill underneath my foot and he said, that $10 bill is mine. Suddenly he knows he's going to be able to pass the test. Why? Because he has received promise. He has believed my word and he trusts my character that I cannot lie. That's the moment he believes he has it. But guess what? What's he going to do next? Is he just going to go out the door? He's going to go and get the $10. You see, that's the way each of us must live. God has given us his word. We reckon it ours. He said it. I believe it. I take it. I am $10 richer by faith. And then as we go after that $10 bill, what are we going to find? It's there. It's there when we need it. And now we have what's called the crinkle of the $10 bill. The reality of his promises in this earthen realm. So we need to reckon. I'm going to go through some truths in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and 2 specifically, so that you can hear what the word of God says. It is coming to you and you are penniless. You are that work love that desperately needs to be able to function. And so I could ask you, do you have it in and of yourself, in and of your own work glove, calfskin power, the ability to perform Ephesians 4 through 6? No, I don't. But do you have it? Uh, what I'm wanting to see is you going, yes, I have it. How do you have it? By faith. By faith in Ephesians 1 through 3. I believe his word, and I believe that word is for me. And when you believe it, it changes your life. It's called the power of the gospel unto salvation. 40 gospel, oh, I, I did use the word, indicatives. These are statements of fact found in Ephesians 1 and 2. These are so powerful. Now you have these. Oh, I'm going to read through all of them. Sorry to do that to you guys, but it's really not a form of torture. Don't worry. It's, it's amazingly profound to think that every single one of these is the word of God speaking to you, saying, I have given you this. I know that you don't have it in your own strength. That's why I have given you this. This is what you need to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Remember how Ephesians 4 starts? Therefore, walk worthy of the calling you have received. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to walk this out? Well, you need to take this stuff. 
We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What's your position? You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, every advantage, every benefit in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You meditate upon each one of these and take them to your account. This is the truth. It's laid out for you. This is the reason God has given, it, given you so that you can walk worthy, so that you can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How do you expect to do that just as a work glove unless you have the truth of the gospel imbued, endued to you? He chose us in Christ to be holy. He chose us in Christ to be blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons. You are adopted. He made us accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. In him we have redemption through his blood. You are redeemed. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven. In him the riches of his grace abound toward us in wisdom. In him the riches of his grace abound toward us in prudence. In him the mystery of his will is made known to us. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We may receive wisdom and knowledge of Christ. The eyes of our understanding can be enlightened to know the hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the exceeding greatness of his power uh, toward us who believe, the power of Christ's resurrection, the present preeminent position and authority of Christ Jesus enthroned in in the heavenly places. He has quickened us, made us alive. Some of you don't feel alive any more than a guy that has no money in his pockets doesn't feel like he has any money. However, what if the word of God said to you, I've made you alive? Well, then are you going to believe your pockets or are you going to believe the word of God? You see, faith is how you take it. He has quickened us, which means to make alive. He has made us alive. He has made us alive together with Christ. He has saved us by grace. He has raised us up together with him to heavenly places. He has made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. We are saved by grace through faith. We were not saved by ourselves, by any of our works. We were saved by the gift of God. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus under good works. God has works for us to walk in that he ordained long ago. In Christ, we who were far off have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. Christ is our peace. Christ has made us one with God. Christ has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Christ has reconciled us unto God. We have access by one spirit unto the Father. We are no longer strangers and foreigners to the household of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are now of the household of God. I I mean, you could just sit on that one for a couple months. We are now of the household of God. Have you ever had the thought that you know that God has saved you? Okay, You believe that. You believe that his shed blood is for you. You have. You've acknowledged that. But you feel so unworthy to be close to him. And so to enter boldly into his presence is really hard because you don't feel like he could possibly want you there. So even though, yes, that's true for others, you know what you are. And you know how ugly your sin has been. And so as a result, you're looking for the poor district around the outside of the kingdom of heaven where you could live. Because you want to be where he is, but you can't be too close. Because you are so undeserving. It is his deservedness that brings you close. It wasn't yours. 
We are now of the household of God. In this room, we have a lot of adoptions that have taken place. And adoption is a rather bewildering concept that parents will open up their home and bring in a child, and sometimes the children have behaviors that are not that attractive. And yet that family will receive them, put them in the will and the inheritance, and actually say, you are a son and a daughter. And then treat them as one of the sons and daughters. Jesus is the only begotten son of the Father. We're all adopted. He's adopted all of us in, but he treats us as he does his son. That's rather shocking. We are now of the household of God. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are built upon Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. In Christ, we are being built up and growing unto a holy temple. In Christ, we are being built as a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. In Christ, we are a work glove who is a dwelling place for the hand. That's what it's saying. Let's yield to the almighty hand. So these are the facts. Ephesians 3 is basically going to then hearken back to that and say, hey guys, the way that you get this is by faith. You give up your life. You give up your body. You allow this reality to live inside of you. And then Ephesians 4 kicks in and says, therefore, walk worthy of the calling you have received. Walk worthy, guys. But if you have Ephesians 4, 1, before you have Ephesians 1 through 3, what are you going to do? You're going to dig in your own pockets, grab your own lint of self-effort, and attempt to charge the mountain, charge the hill. But you are unable to do it outside of him. But in Christ Jesus, you have everything you need to begin to function as a Christian. So imagine just some of the classic disturbances of soul. I I understand them. How about this one? I'm unwanted. You know that every, when, when it says that we are given every spiritual blessing, it's like every, a blessing is, can be two things. It can be a benefit. It could also be that word that speaks over our life and literally blasts away all the lies. It's a blessing. And we've been given every spiritual blessing, every benefit and every word spoken of our, over our life that cancels the power of the devil over us. So what's the devil whispering to you? You're unwanted. And guess what? We have a lot of experience in our life that would probably testify to that. How many times were you left out? How many times were you on the fringe where the, the cool group didn't want you in? How many stories could all of us whip up? And of course, the devil's doing all he can to remind us of these moments and to come to one singular conclusion. You are unwanted. And if you're unwanted down here, why in the world would God want you up there? However, you've been given every spiritual blessing, every word spoken that nullifies the lies of the devil and establishes truth in your life so that you are free to live free to walk worthy of the calling you've received. He has predestined us to adoption as sons. Uh, You do know that he wants you as his son. He wants you as his daughter. God Almighty. He made us accepted in the beloved. So there's this group called the beloved. And he says, you're welcome inside of it. The beloved. You are accepted there. I'm unforgivable. Hmm. Classic devil statement. You're unforgivable. There's no way that God can forgive that. 
In him we have the forgiveness of sins. What's your position? If you're in Christ, guess what? You don't just have the ability to forgive others, but you receive the forgiveness of God. You see, you have forgiveness of sins, which is the wiping away, the forgiving of your crimes, your iniquities, but also the ability, the strength, the power, that hand in the glove to be able to now give forgiveness to others. I'm undesirable. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Well, obviously, he desires you. In Christ, we who were far off have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. He's brought you near. You see, he desires you. I know, it's, it's rather staggering, isn't it? But that's the truth of the gospel. And when you have it, you know how much easier it is to walk worthy of the calling you've received when you know the truth? The truth sets you free. I'm cut off. We are no longer strangers and foreigners to the household of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are now of the household of God. You see, when you know the truth, when you know the facts, you can hit those lies square on. I'm dead in my sin. I'm powerless to live. You know what? You're telling the truth. I have to admit it. However, you're not supposed to remain that way. He has quickened us, made us alive. He has made us alive together with Christ. So I don't care what your feelings are. Your feelings could say, I'm powerless to live this thing. Well, in and of yourself, you're right. But you're not powerless to live this thing. In and of your own pocket strength, your lint, can you live this life? No. But do you have the power to live this life? Yes. How do you have it? By faith in his word. When I believe his word, when I believe what he has said, I actually access it. That is the way you obtain it. I must walk worthy of the calling I've received. So now we have the weights of I don't want to say the law, but the clear command, the imperatives in Scripture. This is how you need to live. You see, this shouldn't intimidate us if we know the facts. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So if you're in Christ by faith, when you believe in Christ, you enter into Christ by faith. That's how you enter in is simply by saying, I believe. I believe that what he did is for me. I believe that he is my clothing. Well, now we have every spiritual blessing, every advantage, every benefit that could ever be needed to be able to live this life. That's a fact. We are his workmanship. Well, you know, that takes a little pressure off you, don't you think? How is this going to be accomplished? Well, you're his artistic design. You are his piece of work. So therefore, if you let him be the master craftsman, He is going to shape your life. He is going to do it. You are his workmanship. God has works for us to walk in that he ordained long ago. You know that takes all the pressure off of you trying to whip up works for you to come up and do this grand life and live this grand thing that someone would write a biography about? That's not your business. You can just rest in him and know that he will do the work through you. That's his job description, not yours. I must show the behavior of God. Eh, you know, that's, that's actually what it says. It says, be imitators of God. And I, I mean, that's, that's a pretty heavy-duty weight unless you have the facts. He chose us in Christ to be holy. Well, you know, that, that means he's the one that did the choosing, and he's the one that chose us to be holy. He's also the one that gives us the Holy Spirit. In him, the mystery of his will is made known to us. The mystery of his will. When you enter into Christ, you know how you ought to live. 
And so then the Holy Spirit is able to work through you and do it. You don't need to guess at this. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choice? When you live in Christ, he actually is the one living that life in and through you. I must forgive others even as Christ forgave me. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. You ever struggled with that? It's like how I don't feel like I have the capacity to forgive someone. And you'd be telling the truth. You don't have it any more than the guy without money in his pocket has that $9 to pass the test. However, he's been given promise and you've been given promise. I'll give you everything you need to be a forgiving person. I'll give you everything you need to forgive others. You see, God forgives. And the way that we forgive is in Christ. That's where we forgive. There's power to forgive in Christ. He has given us all that we need to forgive others. So don't look to your own pockets to do it. That's like a glove attempting to do the chores. But when he enters inside, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God that is long-suffering, the God that forgives, he is able to work forgiveness through you. I need help living this out. Boy, that's an understatement. You ever had that groan of a prayer? It's like, God, I am, uh, if, if ever you are, have been a, a husband or a father, you know this prayer. It comes, you know, after your wife has given you one of those uh, remarks, you know, that shows you that you're not quite getting it. Or your children are sort of uh, falling to pieces over here, and you raise your voice, you discipline them improperly, and you just, you have the very clear sense that you're stinking it up. And then the prayer comes out. God, I, I don't know how to do this. Uh, you're, you're getting close. God, is there any way to pull this off? I mean, can you, can you teach me? Can you, can you instruct me in how to be a good father, a good husband? You're getting close. God, I, I can't do this. Yeah, you're hitting it right there. God, can you do it for me? Ding, 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 ding. That's how he works. The gospel meets us at our weakness and says, you need some help, don't you? Would you let me have your life? Yes. Would you let me parent through you? Would you let me love your wife through you? You do that? That's what I specialize in. You see, if you've been struggling with performance in this life, you need to know the secret of the gospel. He is your savior. Not just 2,000 years ago. He is your savior. You have a temptation? You try marshalling the strength to say no to a temptation in your own calfskin glove power. You will fail. But in that temptation, if you say, God, you be my strength to say no. You will find all heaven comes to your aid. I love how Oswald Chambers says it. He will tax the remotest star and the last grain of sand to assist you with all his almighty power. We have every spiritual blessing made available to us so that we don't need to flounder as Christians, but that we can function in every capacity that we have been assigned. That is how the gospel works and intersects our life. I need help living this out. The understatement of the century. In him, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So let me say it a different way. In him, we were sealed with the very life, the very power that will live inside of us and make it all possible. Hey, this is like the crowning jewel 
Paul's given us all these truths. He says, and don't forget, everything you need to carry it out, you've been given. I didn't leave you an orphan, guys. I didn't abandon you down here. I'm going to give you everything you need to live this life. Doesn't it seem like a bad strategy for Jesus to go up to heaven? It's like, where are you going? It's like, it's better for you that I, that I go. Okay, now logically, I don't know that that matches with most of our headspace. It's like, no, no, I don't think it's good that you go. I think it's really good that you're here. We'll bring you around with us. You can send us into the highways and the byways, and we'll say, this is the guy that rose from the dead. Show them your nail wounds. Yeah, see, see that? He was dead, now he's alive. Uh, see, I, we would be so much more effective. However, he says, it's better for you. Why? Because we're dead work gloves. Jesus is the work glove that is showing us how to work, and he's saying, I'm going to go to the heavenly places. I'm going to take my seat, and I'm going to ask the Father to give you what you need so that you can behave like I've behaved down here, so that you can be work gloves or the body of Christ the way you were intended to. This is what he says. He says, ask the Father in my name, and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. He's not going to say no. He's going to give you everything you need for this life. He has raised us up together with him to heavenly places. You see, there's a spiritual man that when you believe in Christ is brought to newness of life. You still have an old body right here and it's sitting in that chair. And that old body has issues. That old body's aging and it's getting older and older. But there is a new creature, that's what it's called, a new man that is raised up and resurrected inside of you. And that new man actually goes with Christ and sits in a heavenly place and has access unto the Father. When you pray, where do you pray from? You pray in that new man. That new man has eyes. That new man has ears. That new man has a tongue. That new man has a heart. And it's actually the Spirit of God and fills that life. So you are here in body. He is there in body. Your spirit is there, clothed, even though it's, I'm not saying his spirit's only there or only here. I'm just saying you are exchanged with him and he has given you his spirit to live in this body down here. You have access to the Father in Christ Jesus. Come boldly. Come boldly under the throne of grace. Ask the Father in his name. You are literally seated in heavenly places. You want help living this out? He says, approach the throne of grace where you may obtain mercy and grace for help in time of need. You have a time of need. Well, now you have a place to come. The throne room of grace. He has made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. We are saved by grace through faith. So when you have faith, what do you get? Grace. You see, when you believe him, you get the grace, you get the hand. We were not saved by ourselves, by any of our works. We were saved by the gift of God. So we could have had an alternate title to this message, starting at chapter 2, verse 6. Doesn't sound as good, does it? And that's if we had used Colossians as our template instead of Ephesians. Because what you have in Colossians is you have the exact same format. In fact, Colossians and Ephesians are very similar. Faith in these facts leads to supernatural living. If you do the same study on Colossians, you're going to find the exact same gospel is given. And then the same commands of how you're supposed to live are given. Look at Colossians 2 verse 6. This is where Paul transitions into giving the commands. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, because you've received Christ, right? You received that hand inside of you, so walk in him. Remember Ephesians 4.1? 
Walk worthy of the calling you've received. Therefore, walk worthy. This one says, therefore, walk in him. If you received him, if you have been given this grace, now walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So you're given a command to walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling you've received. So I'm going to give you the solution for that. Walk in him. I know that sounds funny at first, but there's an old man and there's a new man. There's Adam, and all of us are born in Adam. Every single one of us is a descendant of Adam, and that's why the scriptures say, put off the old man. Put on Christ. This is how the gospel works. You need to give up your life as you know it. You hold on to your old life, you're not going to be functional as a glove. You see, if a glove says, hey, I want to do this my way, and the, and the hand says, could I have your glove? Could I, like, enter in and fill it and be its all in all? And if that glove hinders that and says, hey, no, I want to have my own identity. I want people to see me. Well, then that glove is going to continue to stink. It is not going to function. It is not going to work. And the same is true with us. If you want to walk worthy, you need to do your walking in him. You need to put off Adam, put on Christ. You need to be made new by faith. You need to say, this life is under condemnation. This life is fruitless. It is unable to function. I put it off. I repent of it. And I clothe myself in the one life that is satisfying to God, and that is the life of Jesus Christ. You want to be satisfying to God? Get in Jesus. He's the only one that will ever satisfy him. But when you're in Christ... Now you're satisfying to him. You're accepted. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. Every blessing, spiritual blessing, is made available to you. Why in the world would you hang out over here? It's illogical. Repent and believe. And when you do, you receive Christ Jesus. You receive that clothing. Paul says, walk worthy of the calling you've received. Well, the way to do that is to walk in the power of the gospel. Remember what you have heard. Remember the statements of fact of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on that cross. And don't let the devil disturb that truth. Hold on to it. When he whispers his lies, you go back to those facts. And you repeat them to your soul. You preach them to your soul. And the devil has no hold over those that walk in the truth. It sets them free. We have been called to a very high calling, but we cannot muster up the strength to do it in and of ourselves. And yet every single thing that we need to be able to do this has been supplied us. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.